Lazy Person's Book Club presents... You can blame it on the season, blame it on the weather, oh, blame it for no reason, on a feather... Blame it on Hoboken! It's the funny, music-fueled, modern love story with a touch of mystery set in Frank Sinatra's hometown. Today's episode, Do You, Carolyn, Part 2, The Grand Finale, brought to you by... Enjoy the book without doing a thing. At the Lazy Persons Book Club, we'll read it and sing. The Lazy Persons Book Club, your source for stories on podcast, radio, audio, performed live, and in book and CD form. More information at lazypersonsbookclub.com. Previously on Blame It on Hoboken, New York City tour guide Carolyn Cates has used Euclid's proof of perfect numbers to find true love on a deadline. She's met and hired a pushy matchmaker named Jimmy Foss, a man only she can see, who she meets in a Hoboken Sinatra impersonators club called the Friends of Frank. And through Jimmy, Carolyn has met Ned Allen, the wonderfully square man she needs to complete Euclid's formula of love. We join Carolyn and Ned, their family and friends, in the churchyard that houses Carolyn's favorite overlooked landmark, the grave of the 19th century poet Enid Hobb. As she walked up the aisle, Carolyn felt as if she were taking a self-guided tour of her entire adult life. She saw her clients, the executive trainees from Banque Suisse and the group from Righteous Records. She saw the friends of Frank and their wives, the bouncer from the club and its head bartender. And there were her parents up there at the top of the aisle. She saw her exes sitting with their true loves. And she saw people she'd only just met. Elise and Albert, the subletters of Jimmy's apartment. Hey. Namaste. And Mrs. Bustante, the older woman from Ah, Hoboken. Well, well, well. And there were little Hans's friends and soap opera colleagues. They were seated together in a handsome and beautiful cluster. Please, call me Rex. All my friends do. Catan Takan, the taxi driver and psychologist, and his wife, Avrit, were holding hands and gazing happily out the aisle. My miracle sire. Kaczynski, the grouchy cab driver, was sitting beside Catan. A pretty brown-haired woman was sitting beside him. I wagered and he delivered. The only thing more powerful than a miracle sigh is a well-placed bet. Ned, his parents, Father Ted, Rabbi Wallace, and Reverend Evans were waiting for her at the altar. Shalom Havarim! Hello, friends. Good evening. Carolyn was making steady progress, keeping time to the soft strains of the processional. But when she reached the halfway mark in her walk, The processional music switched to an electronic polka. Natalie Martino, Carolyn's client from Righteous Records, had promised to do the music. I know what you're thinking. What's with the polka? But this time next year, you'll be telling your friends, I was at the wedding where the polka processional trend got started. I'm not so sure about that. And who are you? If you have to ask, we have nothing to say. Welcome, friends. We are gathered here today. Can I say one last thing? Could we stop you if we wanted to? Not a chance. But I get your drift, so I'll keep it quick. All I wanted to say is that even if you didn't like that last tune, we know you'll like the next one. 
And it's not my company's tune, by the way. So this is a pretty generous thing for me to say. And do. You ready? Hit it! A young girl stood at the foot of Enid Hobbs' grave, strumming a small pink guitar. She was singing the song that most of the dearly assembled had sung along to on the radio and at the dry cleaners, danced to in clubs and pop music-fueled gym classes all through the spring. One, two, three, my arrow heart thrice flies to thee. Four, five, six, never knew I'd feel like this. One, two, three, my one true love eternal. It's the arrow girl. It's her. She's here singing live. As in live. Now, how crazy is that? Somebody catch me. I think I'm going to faint. Oh, wait. Wow, she's even better live. Wait till I tell my kids about this. I wonder if she'd autograph my arm. I would never wash it again, I swear. Yes, it's the Arrow Girl. You see what I mean? Yes, your friends will be jealous. No, you can't have her autograph. And now that we've established the soundtrack, could we get this ceremony going, please? I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't have all day. We are gathered to celebrate the love that has brought Caroline and Ned here today. Marriage celebrates our decision to love. There is no promise more sacred. But what is love? Caroline and Ned have chosen to address this topic in their vows. Ned, dear, why don't you go first? Uh, Okay, sure, although maybe you should go. I mean, I could go first, but shouldn't the bride speak first? Unless... Oh, jeez. I agree. One of them should start talking already. My shift starts in eight hours, and I don't want to be late. I understand completely. I'll do it. I'll go first. Thanks, lady. It's not that I'm unromantic. Truly? Okay, fine. Yeah, I'm totally unromantic. But let's face it. You guys are dragging things out here. Am I right, folks? Speak up if you agree. Ned and I have asked you all here today to celebrate the power of everlasting love. When we met, both of us had been looking for true love for a very long time. Personally, I used to fall in something like love with really great men that most people overlooked. And they were talented and handsome and I wanted the best for them. But I wasn't really truly in love with them. I wasn't willing to risk everything to be with them. And most importantly, I wasn't willing to lose them. Ah, but then you met Ned, right? I'm not trying to speed things along too much here, Carol. Well, okay, actually, I am. If that's okay with you. Okay, well, so then, I met Ned and I found true love. It started as a formula. And then, it turned into a set of steps. Five steps, actually. Ah, jeez. Here she goes with that Alice in Wonderland crap again. Hey, mister, you know what? I like your style. Can somebody loan me a pen, please? I want to write these steps down. And if anyone has a throat lozenge, too, that would be great. The pollen count's killing me. People, please, could we get a little respect here? This is a life-changing ceremony, in case you haven't noticed. So, I met Ned, and then we started taking the five steps to love. I'm lost. Me too. We didn't take any steps in our courtship that I remember. We met, we eloped, and here we are. You may not know you're taking the five steps when you fall in love with someone, but you are. If you want to create an everlasting love, you have to do something, give something, get something, make something, 
and lose something you don't want to lose with them. Well, that explains a lot. I've been married six times and I'm pretty sure I've only taken four of the steps. Six times? I thought it was your third wife. Well, technically, you're the third woman I married, but your wife number six. I had a couple of mulligans. Do I have to use force to get a little quiet here? I don't want to hurt anyone, but I have people I can call. I like that girl. She's got spunk and moxie. <laughs> I think you're pretty cute too. So, I'll make you a deal. Keep your mouth shut until my brother and his bride say I do, and I'll give you my first dance. Deal. Back to you, Caro. As you were saying, there are five steps to everlasting love, and you took them with Ned, and now you two are in love. That's almost right. You mean you didn't take the five steps to love? I took all five steps, and I'm in love. I'm just not in love with Ned. Oh, oh no. no! My poor baby! It's okay, Ma. I'm in the same boat as Carolyn. I'm in love, like Carolyn, but I'm not in love with Carolyn. Good, Good Lord. Lord! We've tackled hundreds of philosophical conundrums in our day, but this one trumps them all. I'd have to agree. It's a practical doozy and a pickle, with more than a touch of mystery. I must confess, I find it utterly fascinating. You two aren't in love with each other, but your wedding is on? I'm not sure that's kosher, or legal even. I know this sounds confusing, but let me explain. Mr. Chairman of the Board, Maureen Ross, the man I love is your son. He's your brother, Maud and Lucas Ross. He's the musician who played piano with me at your penthouse party, Mrs. Firstmeyer. He's the guy who gave me the scoop on the Sinatra post office for you guys, the bankers of Banque Suisse. And he's the computer genius who, I hope, hacked every password Wendy created so brilliantly. And, and I didn't know this until very recently, he's also the great, great, great nephew of Enid Hobbs' eternal love, the architect. His name is Jimmy Ross. Although, when I hired him as my matchmaker, he was calling himself Jimmy Foss. Oh, Carolyn, I am so proud of you. You didn't settle for the normal guy. Uh, no offense, Ned. None taken. I was afraid of losing Jimmy Foss, so I never told him I loved him. I'm sorry, but that's kind of stupid. I know, it was really stupid. And then, I lost him. That a girl. I'm sorry, but that comment's kind of cruel. Clearly, you guys have different goals in life, but I think right now, you should try to understand your daughter's situation. Losing someone isn't fun for her. It's painful. Trust me, I know. I'm her intern. Carolyn makes a good point, dear. We like losing things, but Carolyn doesn't. And to be honest, I'd prefer never to lose you. I'm sorry, Carol. I was wrong to say what I did. Oh no, no, actually, you're right. When Jimmy told me about the fifth step to love, losing something you don't want to lose, I was completely against it. It sounded like the worst thing that could happen to me. And it is. I mean, I did some really stupid things and I lost Jimmy because of them. But that's the point of the fifth step, I think. I lost Jimmy, that's true, but no one can stop me from loving him. Excuse me, Miss Cates? May I ask you to consider another variable in this equation? I'm sorry, but I'm going on pure instinct here. I should have said this earlier, but I didn't. So I'm going to say it now, because now is all I have. I apologize for interrupting your speech. It is very beautiful. But if you shift your viewpoint, this would be a very good thing for you, I think. Sorry, little Hans, 
My mind is set, and so is my heart. I've met the love of my life, and nothing can change that. I love you, Jimmy Foss, and I'll love you forever. That's nice to hear, Toots. Carolyn spun around. Jimmy Foss was standing behind her. He was wearing a bright blue jacket and pale gray trousers, the same costume Enid Hobbs' true love, the architect, had planned to wear on his wedding day. Toots, I gotta thank you for that speech. It was beautiful. It's also the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. I'd like to thank you for that, sincerely. And there's more good news here, because I've been in love with you from the day we met. So your feelings aren't all for nothing, if you know what I mean. Oh my god, that's my son, cried Jimmy Foss's mother, Maureen Ross. His father, the chairman of the board of the Friends of Frank Sinatra Impersonators Club, expressed his delight his way. The kid looks pretty good in a blazer. Much to the annoyance of Jimmy's mom, his first wife, Maureen. Is that the best you can do? Your son magically reappears in front of you after a decade and serious change, and all you got is, I like his jacket? Oh, I got an ocean of emotion rolling in here, trust me. It wouldn't hurt you to show it sometimes, you know. Equally annoyed was the chairman of the board's fourth and current wife, Barbara. Ain't that the truth? Your family's pretty great. I knew you loved me when you tried to reunite me with them. That took guts and a lot of heart. But I wasn't sure if you wanted me or Mr. Square Allen here. No offense to you, Ned. A square is a nice thing to be in lots of ways. But if I was going to meet her halfway, I was going to have to make some major changes in my day-to-day habits, if you know what I mean. It wasn't easy. But you know how the fifth step goes. You got to lose something you don't want to lose. There was a lot I liked about living out of sight. But you made such a good case for being a more normal kind of guy. Kind of guy who shows up. I thought, okay. I'll try it. And voila, as they say, here I am. And here you are, in that beautiful dress, with your crazy family at the place where my great uncle, the architect, lost everything. And you know what, Toots? There is nothing overrated about any of this. Is anyone else confused? I could swear that I know that young man, but I've never seen him before. I can explain that, but can I do something first? Go ahead, sorry to interrupt. Toots. The truth is, I got nothing else to say, except, Carolyn Cates, will you marry me? You'd better marry him, or somebody, today. That arrow girl cost me a fortune. Yes, yes, Jimmy Foss, I'll marry you. Hold on, this is all great for Carolyn, but where does it leave my brother Ned? It leaves me walking this way. He's backtracking. He's walking back down the aisle. Oh, no. Not exactly. I'm walking back to talk to this woman sitting beside Mr. Kaczynski here. Denise, I'm taking a leap here, but I still love you, and I think you still love me. Will you marry me? You bet I will. Who's she? She's my brother's ex fiance the one who said, yes, I'll marry you, and backed out on him a couple days before their wedding. Oh. Oh. No offense, Denise, I like you and all, but let's face it, you left Ned once. How do we know you won't leave again? Because Denise is a plan fleer. This is her flaw. I know this because I, Katan Tekan, am a psyologist, as well as a taxi driver. I have heard her sighs, and I have identified her flaw. I'm sorry, so you're saying Denise is a plan fleer? What is that exactly? A plan fleer 
runs away when he or she is faced with significant change. This is Denise's flaw as surely as backtracking is Ned's flaw. It's true. I hate to admit it, but when we got to the final stages of planning our wedding, I split. It's a flaw. And I love you for it. Seriously? Look at it this way. If it wasn't for your flaw, I would never have been able to learn to fly or find my confidence or realize how much I love you. I mean, I had a hint, but now I know. Well, if that ain't the most confused speech you ever heard. Hold on a sec. I agree with you that this ceremony has been pretty nuts up to this point. But I found this girl, so this part of it's okay with me. So here's the thing, Ned. I think your backtracking thing is pretty cute. And I love you for it. Unless you backtrack now. Will you marry me, Ned Allen? Yes. Absolutely. Oh. You see? What did I tell you? This part is good. Could we please get on with this? The Arrow Girl is going into overtime. Certainly. So it seems our happy event is twice as wonderful now, and we will be celebrating two weddings. Unless anyone else here would like to wed? Vivre. Grimelda from La Marisa said, raising one hand and taking Nico's hand with the other. And so it was, on the morning after the city's big storm, that Carolyn and Jimmy, Denise and Ned, and Grimelda and Nico were married in one brief but very meaningful ceremony by the Rev, Rabbi Wallace, and Father Ted. As the newlyweds kissed, a ray of sunlight flashed through the crowd, drawing everyone's attention to the heart of stone outside the architect's study in the building across the street. Ab amor, eternus, eternus. The words engraved in the stone heart read, to my one true love, eternal. Points to me. Sing along if you still love me. One, two, three. My arrow heart thrice flies to thee. Four, five, six. I never knew I'd feel like this. One, two, three. My one true love. The friends of Frank took control of the wedding reception at the reception hall down the street from the church. The champagne poured and the music flowed. The Franks entertained the crowd with old and older hits that got folks dancing and singing and celebrating the winding yet wondrous ways of life. Nico and Grimelda sang La Marisa, backed by the Franks band between sets. The reception hall closed at two in the morning, but the party was not over. So Grimelda and Nico moved it to La Marisa. When their normal breakfast crowd arrived the next morning, the wedding party was still dancing in the aisles. Well, what the heck, it beats the gym. One of the little diner's regular patrons said as he joined the dancing party. And then it was time for the wedding breakfast. Carolyn and Jimmy caught up on the days they'd been apart. Carolyn told Jimmy about her efforts to capture his attention with Wendy's ever-changing webpage and the copies of the old photographs she'd left at the Whispering Benches, the Broken Sea, and Eden Hobbs grave. Jimmy told Carolyn how he'd worked on being seen for a few minutes and then a few hours each day before taking the final leap before the crowd. Do you know your plan would work? Nope. That's pretty brave stuff. Did you know your plan would work? No, but I had to do it because... My point exactly, Toots. So tell me, what would you have done if I hadn't showed up at the church? I would have loved you anyway. Well, I guess that leads us to the last question on your romantic questionnaire. Where should we go on our honeymoon? Carolyn looked around the room. Her friends were dancing. Her family was wandering. The coffee was pouring. 
A big city that was a tiny island at heart orbited the sun on a planet full of infinite possibility and some pretty interesting challenges. Well, what about here? I'll drink to that, said Jimmy Foss, taking a sip of La Marisa's Fresh Hot Cafe. The next book for your listening pleasure, brought to you by the Lazy Persons Book Club, is The Girl Who Gets Her Hair Cut. Visit SharonGlassmanLive.com for an exclusive preview. We conclude this episode of Sharon Glassman's Novel with Songs, Blame It on Hoboken, available at SharonGlassmanLive.com. Today's episode features... Joan Bremer Holden as Natalie Martino and Caro's mom. Nina Raleigh as Aggie. Ellen Allen, Rabbi Wallace. Fallon Allen and Miss Jupeski. Andre Ramek as Little Hans. Lauren Stovall as the Arrow Girl Singer. George Figgs as the Dancing Diner Patron. Adela Mizrachi as the wedding guest who wants to write down the steps. Rich Johnson as the bartender from the Friends of Frank's Club. Dallas Heltzel as Catan Tacan and Lance. Connor Magyar as Jimmy Foss, Father Ted. Ned Allen, Kaczynski the grouchy taxi driver, and Beltram by Beltram. Veronica Straight-Lingo as Wendy. Eric Isle as Caro's dad, Reverend Evans, and Rex the movie star. T. Don as the wedding guest who wants the Arrow Girls tattoo. Dave McIntyre as the chairman of the board. Carol Borer as Maureen Ross and Barbara Sinatra. Rory Kelly as the five steps questioner. Trish Lewis as the guest who will tell her kids. Juliet Youngren as the, oh wait, I'm sitting down guest. Joe Pizanik as the She's Here Live wedding guest. Steve Weintraub and Denny LaRue as the three, or is it six time spouses? And your author, Sharon Glassman, as Carolyn, the narrator, Denise, and Malin. The songs of Blame It on Hoboken are written by Sharon Glassman and produced by Eric Turin. Blame It on Hoboken comes to you from Studio To Be or Not To Be in Longmont, Colorado, and is syndicated on the Longmont Compass. Blame it on the ocean, oh, blame it on this kiss. If you get the notion, you can blame it on Hoboken. But baby, stay with me, blame it on Hoboken. But baby, stay with me, blame it, but don't tame it. Write our names and flame with it. No two days the same on it. Stake a claim for fame on it. Blame it on Hoboken. But baby, stay with me.